You're listening to Dave and Dia, a podcast about basketball, life, and the Portland Trailblazers. Please keep all hands and arms inside the window and welcome your hosts, Dave Decker and Dia Miller. Hello again, Trailblazers fans and NBA fans or just fans of Dave and Dia. I don't know who you are, but I am glad you are here. I am Dave Deckard here with Dia Miller to talk about all kinds of things, basketball and life and whatever else comes up. How are you doing today, Dia? You know, Dave, it's 9.30 in the morning, which is not typical for us. Usually we record late in the evening, but we lost our podcast last night, so we are re-recording today. And I know that 9.30 doesn't really seem like that early, but my brain just doesn't turn on in the morning. It, It takes till like noon before it's fully functioning. Yet another way in which you and I are the same. Morning Dave is not the same as night Dave, but that's okay because the the Blazers will provide inspiration, I am sure. I made a grave tactical error though. I did not have caffeine or coffee or anything like that. So we're going to have to get really inspired and excited because the neurons in my brain are going, where's my stuff? And I'm like, oops, I forgot. And now there's a microphone in front of my face and I can't go get it. So I have I have a three-year-old temper tantrum brain going on right now. Yeah, I think this podcast might be like the slow-mo version of our normal podcast. <laughs> right. It will be Carmelo Anthony on the break podcast. Oh, (laughs) Dave, you can't do that. (laughs) I just did, though. (laughs) Oh, man. I I mean, I could say it would be Hassan Whiteside in the second half of his game. (laughs) It's not going to move at all? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's going to watch other things happen? (laughs) We're we're just going to sit here in the middle of everything watching other podcasts. move around us oh dear well we're we're glad all of you are here though and we we promise we will be entertaining you just this is as bad as it will ever get like if you're looking for a reason to hate dave and dia i mean we hate each other right now we hate the world right now so this is i heard one time i heard one time that if you go a certain amount of time without sleep it's like it's the equivalent to being drunk and I don't drink, but I feel like it wouldn't take a lot. So I think maybe that's what we're dealing with. It's like I didn't sleep enough, so I'm like a little tipsy. It is Dave and Drunk Dia. <laughs> so, I mean, non-alcoholic Drunk Dia, but there we go. So this ought to be fun. Oh, my gosh. That said, we have not talked officially in front of a microphone since the season began. Uh, last podcast was on the, the first day of the season. The Blazers lost mightily to the Utah Jazz in a, a bit of a downer for a season opener that made everybody go, oh, no. Played kind of poorly in the first half versus Houston and it made everybody go, really? Seriously? We, we, we showed up for this? But then turned it around with defense in the second half, won in overtime thanks to C.J. McCollum's heroics against Houston. And then ran past the Lakers in a game that did the exact opposite of the season opener whenever made everybody go wow this is fantastic and we're on a roll uh three games huge roller coaster two and one how are you feeling personally so far about the season honestly I feel pretty good about it you know I think it's it's real easy to 
watch the preseason and watch the first game. I think we had high expectations. You know, on paper, in the offseason, we filled all our holes. On paper, we looked like we were going to be really good, especially compared to last year. Preseason is preseason, and everybody reminds everybody else of it when we struggle through it. And so we go into that first game with Utah, and I think everyone just thought, okay, we're going to be an amazing team. We're going to play well together. We're going to be better than we've ever been in the recent future, <laughs> recent history. This is where the brain, you know, thing <laughs> I like happens. recent future. That's <laughs> Dia's in a time warp. Future. It's inception, Dia. <laughs> in the recent history. And so we we had high expectations, and it just didn't play out that way. But I think we have to remember that, you know, again, we had a short off season. These guys have not had a chance to play a lot together. They're coming off of three practices going into the off season, a short off season, and here we are. And I think, you know, it takes time for that chemistry and that trust to develop. And so the fact that that first game was such a struggle, everybody started to just panic. And then we've gotten progressively better. So for me, I feel like there's no need to panic. We all just need to hold on for a few more minutes and give them time to gel. And I think we're starting to see that. So the trajectory to me looks pretty good right now. Now it's Wilson Phillips, Dia. I like this. This is good. <laughs> hold on for one more day. Hold on. <laughs> it, yeah, it's it, a- yeah, well, look, it felt to me like preseason I mean the Blazers were out drinking the last couple games against Denver I don't know what happened but it was bad and then I think everybody thought they were going to throw a switch maybe including them the games really count now we're going to be a different team we got the 9 30 in the morning version of the Trailblazers on opening night they're like we're not ready for this and it went poorly and and to their credit Utah is a good team and Utah is a team that is familiar with each other and they took full advantage. So fair enough. The first half against Houston, I think, was more disturbing because Houston was ready to be beaten and the Blazers weren't doing it. I mean, they were like, let's just repeat this again. And somebody at halftime, I mean, Lillard, Stott, whoever it was, was like, hello, wake up. And we saw a shift after that intermission into a much better version of the team. That was a rough game to watch because all the stuff circulating about Harden wanting to come to the Blazers and CJ obviously knowing that he's a part of that trade if that happens and Blazer fans obviously knowing he's a part of that trade if it happens. And so we're going into this game highly emotionally charged. Everybody, I'm sure. The players, the fans, there's a whole lot of talk about it. And on top of that, Houston was so depleted that they only dressed nine players, which for the record is only one more than the required eight in order to actually play and not have to forfeit or postpone or whatever they do. We went again, once again, just like the Utah game, we went into this game with high expectations thinking, you know what, they're down, they've only got nine players we're solid, we've filled all these holes, we're going to be great, it's going to be an easy win. And then We went into overtime, which really shouldn't have happened in that game. I mean, a win is a win, so we'll take it. But you watch that as a Blazer fan who has high expectations, and you think, oh boy, this is going to be a rough season. But yes, you're right. They did. They came out in the second half, and there was a difference. And so I'm hoping that that attitude adjustment, that pep talk, that whatever it was, continues on into the rest of the season. 
Yeah, I mean, hopefully once you play decent defense, it's kind of addictive because the results certainly are. It was night and day in that game, obviously the Lakers game. Now look, LeBron came out and dominated for the first six minutes or so in LeBron fashion. It seemed like he was going to tell the young upstart team that no matter who they got on their roster this offseason, that the Lakers were still the Lakers and LeBron was still winning. Fair enough. But after that, it stopped. And I'm not sure the Blazers did it, frankly, entirely. It it seemed like LeBron and AD and everybody thought, well, that's enough. We showed them. And the Blazers were like, hello, three quarters and a half left to play. So (laughs) the Blazers did a good job going after that. I think the Lakers eased up a little bit. But the Blazers, by the time the Lakers decided this was going to be a game again, it was too late. The Blazers had it and the Blazers kept it. And that was really encouraging. You know, I live in Los Angeles, and so there is no team, on top of the rivalries that we have with them, there is no team that I want to beat more than Los Angeles. So those games always feel a little more like like there's a little more on the line. You know, my dad's a Laker fan. My neighbor, I was outside the other day, and my neighbor said, we got that game. He said, I'm, I'm waiting to text you, which, by the way, he did not because we won. And I will just say that I am not one to go around texting all my Laker fan friends and saying how we beat them. I just like to let it speak for itself. Dia, that idea of uh, only paying attention when you win and counting things that let you win, it's been going around in the country a little bit. So (laughs) I'm not sure that Laker fans are alone in that. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, they're real loud when we lose, but they're real quiet when we win. I don't hear a peep from Lakers fans, and it's always the one thing I'll do. I post it on Facebook right after the win, which is where all my actual real-life people I know are, and said, I'll take that win with, you know, a nice little gif of the Blazers. Gif? Gif? Whatever. No, it is, don't do that. Oh my gosh. You just okay. You just <laughs> doubled our listen- you just doubled our listenership, but now you've embroiled us in a four hour controversy that we're never gonna get out of. You can gif okay, your well, gif or gif your gif or chocolate in your you peanut know, butter or whatever. That. One of those little video emotionally things that right, you know you, right. you flip the pages yeah. and the thing moves. That thing. Yeah. And nobody <laughs> said a thing except for my mom, who is also a Trailblazers fan, liked it. But you know. So those Laker fans get real quiet when that happens. So there is no team that I would rather beat than L.A. And I think that tends to be true of all Blazer fans. There's just something about that. So it was fun. It was fun to watch them come out. It was fun to watch them mesh and gel as a team. It was fun to watch them become the team that I'm hoping that we get to see the rest of this season. They weren't perfect. There were things that were, you know, still need work. But it was really nice to see them looking like a cohesive team that kind of knows what they're doing yeah you finally in that lakers game started to see things like valid closeouts at the arc right that actually three-point shooters most of the time were covered and the blazers i mean they were bad at this last year and they started in the first couple games bad at it as well i mean even houston i mean my gosh they missed a lot of shots that was houston's fault not portland's fault at all but you saw some closeouts against the lakers you saw some good action on screens finally i liked what i saw i was a little surprised actually i think one of the main sub points of that is that a lot of that happened with Ennis Cantor on the floor and not Yusuf Nurkic. Now, we've talked about Nurkic before. Um, He seems a little bit out of shape. I don't know what else is going on. I hate to speculate. All we know is this hasn't been the Nurkic 
that we are used yeah. to seeing. And we talked about him preseason as the connection point for everybody. And it hasn't been there. But midway through the Lakers game or so, you know, especially in that second half, Cantor stepped up. He's still not a great defender. He never will be. But he was running. He was moving. And he was doing everything he could, which I think at least to my eye, let everybody else breathe a sigh of relief, stopped worrying about what was happening behind them on defense, knowing that at least something was there, someone was there that was trying, and started being able to get aggressive out in front of them, which began to change the tone. And when Nurkic came back in very late, that was more like the old Yusuf Nurkic that we knew. He was yeah. hustling and he was rebounding and he actually helped close that game really strong, which is a fantastic sign for the Blazers. Yeah, you hit on a whole lot of things there. One of the things that I actually want to touch on is Nurk. You know, it's really easy to forget that these guys are human. You know, you forget that they're people first. You watch them week after week after week go out there and you know, I always watch Twitter blow up with positive words when they do well and really awful things when they struggle. And all I can think is, you know, we have to remember that these guys are humans. And just like any other human, they have things going on in their lives. You know, there was a lot of talk about how LeBron James walked off the court before the clock totally ran out. He didn't, you know, acknowledge the Blazers. He didn't shake their hands or talk to him or anything like that. And there was a lot of criticism for that. If someone has a bad attitude, that's a problem for me. That being said, we don't know what's going on in these guys' lives. And that goes for Nurk, too. You don't know. You know, the rest of us, we work our nine-to-five jobs or whatever jobs we work. We have a little bit of flexibility. We can say, hey, I'm having a, a bad day. There's something personal going on. I need a personal day and take a day off. These guys can't. They have to show up day after day after day after day. They have to put on a brave face and go out and do what they're supposed to do. If they don't, if they break down in the middle of a game, not only are they dealing with whatever they have to deal with, but now they're dealing with media getting on them for a public breakdown. They don't have room to breathe and deal with their normal lives in the public eye when this is going on. And so I always think about that. And I think you never know. Maybe Nurk has somebody in his family that's sick. Maybe he has an issue going on in his personal life. You just don't know. Those things can absolutely impact the way that you play. And I think it's important to always give, as fans, to give some grace there. We know at the end of the day what Nurk is capable of. And we know at the end of the day that he will get there. We just have to give him a little bit of grace and hope that he's, as a human being, okay. And that everything else can be fixed. And look, even if there's not something deeper... It's not completely unheard of. It is a little bit in this modern era, but it used to be that everyone played themselves into shape during training camp. And this is basically an extended training camp, everything before, you know, earlier to mid-January. Now, that's not an excuse. I don't I, I prefer that wasn't happening because I think with the athlete in the 2020s, it's a year-round thing and you have to do that to keep up. That said, it's not the end of the world. It just feels like the end of the world for the Blazers because Nurkic is so important in so many ways. That's a credit to him, actually, and also indicative of their system and how they run things, you know, how it works. So 
basically, what the Blazers are going to hope is that they're going to get a slightly upgraded version of Nurkic, that we're going to see some of the more old flash, especially on defense and hustling, rebounding and stuff like that. I mean, they, they need him not to walk, basically. And if they get that, they'll probably be okay. They're showing enough signs otherwise that things are going to turn good. If they don't, Cantor's not going to be a great substitute. But like you said, this is not a discussion necessarily to put all your chips in on in game three or game four by the time you hear this. We need to look mid-January, late January, see what's going on. Yeah, you know, I keep thinking back to last season when we had one game where Anthony Tolliver played center. And that being said, I'm just so grateful that we are as deep as we are this year. And when Nurk is having an off game, we have Cantor to put in there and, and fill in those holes. And, and he did. He stepped up and he did what needed to be done. And, you know, you can't, you can't be mad about that. There was so much that was done correctly. And another thing that you said was that you feel like these guys didn't have to look behind their back so much and see if they were there. You said it a lot better than that. I just butchered it. But, you know, you get the the concept. It um, sounds good. Coming, I, I like you, you can repeat anything I say. It's flattering. That's good. You were paying attention. I, That's, I, you know how many people don't pay attention? I mean, I'm a pastor. I get up there and quack for like 15 minutes every Sunday, and one in 10 people is awake. Well, I hope, yeah, I, hope I, I preach better than that. But you know what I mean. Or you get the thing where, okay, so you say something, and then someone comes out and shakes your hand and says, I really like that thing you said, which is exactly what they wanted you to say, and not at all what you actually right, said. Right, right, so, right. So this is actually yeah. you you halfway butchering my point. It's, it's still my point. I feel vindicated. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I think that that's, I think that that's true. And I think, you know, those first few games with Covington and with Derek Jones Jr., they were new to this team and they hadn't played with this team. And one of the things that makes a team great is the trust in each other to be where they're going to, I mean, how many times do you see someone throw a ball and no one's there? It's not because they looked and thought someone was there. It was someone was supposed to be there and they weren't. And so I think you have to trust in the fact that the guys are going to be where they're supposed to be. They're going to defend the people around you. They're going to make sure that you can do what it's your job to do. Seeing Robert Covington and seeing Derek Jones Jr. come in here, we've got to get nicknames for them because I guess Rocco, but Derek Jones Jr., we needed a nickname for him because Derek Jones Jr. is getting awfully long. But I think you see these guys come in and they're starting to get that. They're starting to build that trust. They're starting to see, okay, if I do this, they're going to do this. And that's starting to happen, you know, three games into the season. And so, again, I hope that that just gets stronger and stronger and stronger as we go. And we continue to see them step up and take it to the next level, which I think is what we started to see in that Laker game. Yeah, it feels like part of the shift was... And they say, I think the reports were that Lillard gave a little talk at halftime of Houston, and that was part of it. And I think it might be key that he spoke because NBA teams have a pecking order and they take their signs and signals from defined players. And it's different from every team, but you know, (laughs) there's no doubt who it is for the Blazers. I mean, it's Damian Lillard, number one, and CJ McCollum right after. Right. Right. Those guys are the team leaders. Right. Visually, center of gravity, whatever it is. Okay. Definitely not Jones Jr., definitely not Covington coming in. They have to figure out their way. But the 
cumulative effect of that figuring out was it was like a bunch of people at a four-way stop kind of saying, you go, no, you go, no, you go, and nobody's going. It feels like part of the sorting out that they might be negotiating or maybe have done is that Lillard and McCollum have said, look, on defense, it's you. You get out there. You be aggressive. This is what you do. We're looking for this from you, and we will follow. We will, you go, be the point of attack, and we're going to shape around you. You'll trust that we're behind you, but don't look to us to give you permission or to lead you or to do whatever. You do the thing. And then this allows the new guys who have that particular skill set to exhale and say, I just got to go out there and be me. I just got to go out there and do my thing. I'll do it. And everybody fits in behind him. On offense, the leader is still the guards. And it can work that way, but I think it has to be spelled out and negotiated. I have a hunch that somewhere in that settling in process in the early season, that's what we're saying. And credit, by the way to whatever leadership is in that locker room for being able to parse that out. I don't think every locker room has that. There are probably some locker room leaders who go, I'm the man, no matter what the situation, even when they suck on defense. So, you know, hey, hopefully that will continue. But I I, I like the improvement arc was upward. We haven't seen the Clippers game. When you hear this, there's a gap between recording and publishing. Uh, Hopefully it didn't fall apart, but that's what they're working towards anyway. Yeah, and just on that note, let's talk about Dame for a second because, you know, one of the things that was really interesting to me about, and I'm kind of going off the Lakers game because I feel like that was like our most solid game of the three. One of the things that was really interesting about that is we were all talking like crazy about the game. We were talking about CJ. We were talking about, you know, Derek Jones Jr.'s LeBron block. We were talking about all these things, but Dame didn't really get brought up a lot. And it's interesting because Dame still scored. I don't know exactly how many points he scored, but I know it was over 30. He still scored a a solid, solid amount of points and no one's talking about it. And I just think it's so interesting because, you know, we are just so used to that from Dame. Dame makes it look easy. He makes it, it, it's to the point that if he doesn't score that many, we start to wonder why. And I think we have to remind ourselves that scoring 30 points in a game is not a normal thing. I mean, it's not abnormal, but it's a high level of play. And so Dame goes out and does that, and no one's even talking about it because it's just Dame doing Dame things. That's what he does. And we're so used to that level of leadership that we've almost come to expect it. Yeah, we saw Dame-volution here in miniature happen and it kind of mirrored what he does most seasons, but it all happened in a week this year. You had the opening night where he took, what, five shots in the first half and hit none of them, and the zero is not a problem. It's like it's taking five shots in a half. This is not what Dame does for the Blazers, right. right? But that was opening night, and it seemed like he was trying to keep everybody else involved and happy, and they didn't produce frankly. And he took over a little bit more, but not that much more in the second half of that game. But then you saw him come a little bit more to the fore against Houston, set up CJ, uh, who was on fire, and that was great. But now in the Lakers game, Dame is much more aggressive and stepping up to the big moment, which is the Dame they need. That used to take a month when he was younger. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to concentrate on helping everybody else. And then it didn't work. And then a month later, he would go on a huge run. I think it's a sign of his veteran status that it took a week. And I think probably that there's still some negotiating to do inside himself, finding that role with this team and, you know, with his teammates as well. But I think it's pretty well settled now. And, you know, he's, he's 30 years old now. 
that the dame that the Blazers need is the dame who's going to be up front and aggressive and everybody else works around him. And I hope at some point that argument gets settled. Yeah, I mean, if it's not, if it's not, if it's, <laughs> if it's not fixed, don't, if it's not fixed, broken, don't break don't it. it. Did, you, did you come out with this? <laughs> if it's not fixed, don't break it. I always well, want to throw those I mean, things out there. Okay. And like, I know what I'm saying and I butcher them at 930 in the morning or otherwise I butcher them uh, every single time. I no, can't. No, I can tell you exactly where that came from. So, so most people are talking to like, you know, adults or engineers or whatever. If it's not broken, you don't need to fix it. Right. For the people you're talking to children, you're talking to like your three-year-old. If it's not, <laughs> fixed don't break it just don't break it don't break it <laughs> and, oh, and of course, of course have you gone you've got you must have gone through this phase where you I, it must be like an nba coach sometimes you slap your forehead you tell your kids literally what you don't want them to do six times and then they go and do immediately that because you put it in their heads <laughs> yeah yeah we just we just try to avoid all conversation at this point it's <laughs> like Actually, that's a great strategy. That's a good coaching strategy with your kids. Kids, you're veterans now. You've you've been at this three or four years. You should be taking more responsibility. Yeah, just go out there and don't get hurt or break anything. Exactly. Which is also good coaching advice. Exactly. Don't get hurt or break anything. Parents of a toddler, NBA coach. <laughs> similar, similar philosophies. I love it. All right, let's talk about Mello. Mello, I love Mello. Have I made that clear enough on here? I love Mello. I am a Mello fan. I love that he came to Portland. I think it was exactly the right time. I like seeing him be a part of this team. It's been an interesting progression over the last few days because I feel like Mello, coming out of last season, Mello was well-loved. Blazer fans were happy to have him. They were glad that he was on our team. They were proud of the fact that he was on our team. And all it took was two games, three games, for Blazer fans to be flipping around and just coming at him. This is the same thing we talked about. It's not just who you are. It's who you connect to, right? And I, I don't think Carmelo is materially different than he was last season. But A, the situation has changed course because now the blazers have what three people at least at power forward and not just one okay he's not going to start and he's not going to get all the shots that he's used to and when he comes in and plays the carmelo style there's not as much space but also that connection point who else is on the big man rotation of the bench i mean the main one is Cantor, and Cantor is big takes up the middle, can score a little bit, basically rebounds, and doesn't defend. And Carmelo is not as big, uh, plays a little farther out, but takes up isolation possessions and doesn't defend. Also, both of them are moving pretty slowly compared to their teammates. It's not that one or the other is bad, it's that both of them together create a bit of quicksand in there that the Blazers get stuck in and it happens offensively when the ball stops and it happens defensively when they can't close out or rotate and by the way neither one of them can defend a player one-on-one either so I mean there's just too many holes with both of them in together right now the Blazers don't have the luxury of not playing Cantor because Nurkic isn't up to par so Carmelo's going to be the one who suffers and also Carmelo's going to be the one who looks bad because you know what you don't notice Cantor looking bad as much 
much right. because he's seven feet tall and at least you see him. Right. Car- Carmelo's has the same problem, but he's more hidden and you just notice that, well, he sucks compared to other six foot eight players out there. So long story short, it's not Carmelo or it's not just Carmelo. It's Carmelo's situation, what they need out of that position, and especially who's he's play- who he's playing with that make him look bad. That's it. Yeah. That doesn't mean he should play. <laughs> it means yeah. that Carmelo can be the same, but everything changed around him, and it changes his value. Yeah, it felt like he killed us a little those first two games, and then he wasn't there for the third one, and, and we played really well. And so I think it's an easy jump to say, well, we just play better without him, but I don't necessarily think that that's accurate. I think Melo still adds to this team. I think he's still a, a, an asset for us, and I think you're right. It just is going to be about finding the right combinations, and as the season goes on, you know, I'm hopeful that Stotts will pay attention to that and will play around with those combinations and figure out what works. And and that may be different from night to night. It may be different depending on who they're playing or depending on if Nurk is having an on game or an off. There are so many factors that play into that, that it's not as simple as, well, when Melo was there, we lost. And when he wasn't there, we won. It's just not that simple. And I think people try to make it that simple and it's not. So uh, I will say that while I think we did happen to play better without Mello in Los Angeles, I still like him. And I still think he's he's going to be an important part of our team this year. It just hopefully will evolve into something where he finds his place. And this is the first year he's coming off the bench. And so that's another thing where, where he's got to find his stride. Stotts has got to find where he works and, and what combination works well for him in that situation. He's not playing with the same people that he played with last year. So I think it's just it's just a matter of, like everything, figuring out that chemistry, figuring out who plays well together and where they need to be. Yeah, and he'll look better with an active Nurkic than he will with Cantor. He would look better yep. with Giles out there, I think. Yeah. At least on defense. On offense, it'll be interesting to see. And again, it hinges on whether he can become a fantastic passer out of that kind of angle post position that he likes. I, I think that's possible, but I I think the difference is the Blazers aren't going to hang on it either way. And right. that, above all, may be the adjustment point. Because you know what? Even when Carmelo came back to Portland, even resurrecting his career out of being out of the league, he started immediately. There wasn't a game that right. he played that he didn't start. And yep. he had respect, and he was an integral part of everything. He got touches and all that stuff. And that's the honor that the Blazers gave to him, and he gave back to them. That's not going to happen the same way this year. And that, I think, yeah. is the mental adjustment, that I can go out there and play, but I'm not anywhere close to the core. And yeah. I don't know... I don't know how Carmelo that is, honestly. Uh, but the Blazers can't worry about that right now. They've got to play, obviously, the players that they think they can win with. Gary Trent Jr. was a beast in that Lakers game. I mean, Gary, you know, Gary's one of those guys that we we've had his whole NBA career. And he his identity so far has been wrapped up in Portland. And I have great hope that he will be a franchise player. I don't know. I mean, I know there's chatter now about, you know, he signed with Clutch Sports. People are saying he wants to move on. I think that he may stay in Portland if Portland's willing to match offers. And I I think that Portland should match offers. I think that Dame 
is, like we said, James 30. This is his prime, but he won't be here forever. And I think when we have someone like a Gary Trent Jr., who changes the way that we play in the best of ways, I think that that's someone that that you you hold on to with everything you've got. In my hierarchy of who we need to keep on this team, he is in my top three. Nice. Yeah, I would say it depends on what you mean by franchise player. I don't think he'll ever be Damian Lillard or maybe even C.J. McCollum point producer. I think McCollum, somewhere around 20, 22 points a game is probably Trent's ceiling. Who knows? I may be wrong about that, but that feels like that would be a fantastic, absolutely stellar version and career for Trent. That said, if you mean franchise player like Wes Matthews, who we actually let go and didn't become a franchise player, but you know Wes's arc uh, came young. He had been in Utah, but he came young, and he really became a starter in Portland. He developed his style in Portland and then really became the kind of guy you could count on. I think Trent could be a franchise player like that, a guy you never want to be without. Yeah, I don't expect him to be Dame. I do think that just the amount of points he scores isn't, you know, a, a statistic you can look at by itself. The guy's a beast when it comes to defense. He just he adds so much to that team. When I say franchise player, I guess maybe I'm using it incorrectly, but I I when I think of that, I think as somebody who who wants to be in Portland, who stays in Portland. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean his entire career will be here. I mean, I would say Clyde Drexler was a franchise player. He ended up in Houston. But I think, you know, I I hope that Gary Trent Jr.'s career plays out in Portland, at least for the most part. I hope that he develops into a starter. And I hope to see that improvement and that growth in him. And I think it could happen. And I think it would be great to see him in Portland. He's one of those guys that if he goes somewhere else, I'm going to cheer him on like crazy. But every time we play him, I'm going to think, dang it, why did we let him go? Yeah, I mean... He gives the Blazers a lot of flexibility, not just because he's multi-skilled and can play defense, but look at what they don't need if he's on the roster. They don't need more three-point shooting at his position. They don't need more defense at his position, which are the two things that they've just begged for. Um, They don't necessarily need more scoring unless he's a a 35-minute-a-game starter. And by the way, we don't even know then because maybe he puts up 18 points a game. Uh, He's certainly capable. So, like, he fills a lot of holes all at once in one person, and that is what the Blazers have kind of been missing, even with their really good players. I mean, Nurkic is another one who does that when he's on. CJ, eh, you know, they, they need more defense. Even Dame, they could use a little more defense, although we will not profane his holy name. Uh, that Lillard should be on the roster, no matter what minor flaws he has. It's the role of the rest of the roster to compensate for those because he brings so much right but if Lillard's that way then you can't carry you got to get a lot of things compacted into other players to make it work Covington plays defense but can he hit a three-point shot Derek Jones Jr. you underline that and say he better hit a three-point shot at some point or it's going to become a weakness Trent you just exhale you go, oh, okay, no, he he makes sense. And he makes sense at shooting guard. He makes a little bit of sense at small forward. It's good. So I agree with you. I think that he allows the Blazers something that only a couple of other players do. He also, quietly, don't tell Dia this, allows the Blazers to think about trading CJ if they need to, 
which they haven't been willing to do for very good reasons. But at some point, they may need to consider if you have Trent Jr. there, you don't worry about that nearly so much. I, you know, I know that I talk a lot about wanting to keep CJ. I think he's a great player. I think he and Dame have great chemistry. Oh, crap. You uh, heard that? I, oh, sorry. <laughs> I would hate to see him go for a lot of reasons. That being said, I'm not naive to the fact that there's going to come a point where we're going to have to make some moves because we're not going to get rid of Dame. He really is our best bargaining chip. And I hate that. I hate that because I like him. As a person, as a player, as a compliment to Dame, I don't want to see them split up. But I also know that, you know, to have our two main players, even the fact that they're essentially the same age, so they're going through their prime at essentially the same time. Part of having a successful team over time is bringing in younger guys. And as the older guy, as the other guys get older and move out, because if, if, if you base your entire team around Dame and CJ and continue to base it around Dame and CJ, then when Dame and CJ are done, you're left with a skeleton of a team and you have to start over. And I don't want to see that happen. I want to see us bring in talent like Gary Trent Jr. and develop that talent as it's young so that when CJ is older and we don't have him anymore, Gary Trent Jr. can step in. The problem with that is if we keep CJ until he's older and Gary Trent Jr. can step in, then that's not necessarily the best move either. So I would say, and this is maybe controversial, maybe it's a hot take, but I would say that on my scale of who we need to keep and who we need to let go, in my opinion, Gary Trent Jr. would be above CJ simply for the fact that I think we need to have those younger players that are going to come in, and I think Gary Trent Jr. is a beast. That's no disrespect to CJ because I want to keep him too. It's just the simple fact that he, we will be able to get something for him now versus when he can't be part of that team anymore, and I don't see us having a whole lot else to really bargain with. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, 100%. And I think Trent Jr. will defend better, will shoot from the three-point arc. He's not going to score as many points, but he does other things, and he'll come cheaper. And by the way, then you can focus whatever you might get for CJ, providing you traded him, on a different position, which is was always the problem with trading CJ, is that what do you do at shooting guard now? And there are no clear answers. Trent Jr. is a pretty clear answer that he's going to be at least a good supporting player there. So I like it. And all he wants to do, by the way, I think Trent Jr. is get paid. I think if yeah. the Blazers pay him, he will have very few problems uh, staying. In fact, he would probably yeah. enjoy it. Um, I, I think there's also an asterisk of some playing time in there. You know, he, right. he doesn't want right. to play 12 minutes a game. And speaking of big controversy, it's not big. It's, there is a controversy now about why didn't Stotts play Gary Trent Jr. in the Houston game, only five minutes, it was in overtime, blah de blah de blah And then Trent comes out and explodes in L.A., just thoughts was wrong or whatever. Just, okay, facepalm from Dave. Just, look, I just, we just got done singing the praises of Trent Jr., right? I mean, we both like him. That's it. 
Not every player in his situation gets the same role in every game. Some of it could be situational. Maybe the matchup was not great. Some of it could be motivational. Maybe the coach is seeing things that we're not seeing and things need to be adjusted and they were. Some of it, it could be a coaching mistake. Who knows? But if it was a coaching mistake, it was one flipping game. I mean, geez, do you want to live on one flipping podcast? And that's the summation. Hey, Dave and Dia, why weren't you doing this and that in one podcast? This one podcast. Well, we literally fixed it the next podcast. No, that's not good enough. Drives me up a wall. And I think, you know what? The Blazers won the Houston game. It was fine that Trent played six minutes. The Blazers won the LA game. It was fine that he played however many he did and scored 28 points. I think both work. I think coaches and players learn from that kind of thing. And you judge people over weeks and months. You do not judge people like over one game and make a big issue out of it. Uh, That just, uh, that was nails on the chalkboard to me. Oh, Oh, that's a terrible thought. Look, I think Portland is really good at respecting privacy. I think they do a really good job of not putting everything out there. Now, they do media. They do media well. They always answer their questions. They always, you know, are cooperative. It's never an issue of that. That being said, one of the things that I think is so easy to forget in this social media driven world is that again going back to the point about Nurk and and LeBron these guys are people and they give us so much access into their lives all of our guys are pretty active on social media you're seeing behind the scenes they kind of make you feel like you know them you know Portland Trailblazers social media is very good at that as well their interviews are candid They're open. They talk about their families. We all kind of feel like we have this access to them. And I think there's a sense in which people start to feel a little entitled to that access, where it's like, this this is, well, I deserve answers. But the fact of the matter is, there are some things we just don't need answers for. And there are going to be times where a coach is going to make a decision or a player is going to make it or whatever it's going to be, where that's all we need to know. I made the decision that I felt like was right in the time. That's it. We don't need to know the details of that. You don't know what what that could mean. I I think you said this when we recorded this podcast before that we lost. I think you said, you know, you don't know that he could have been protecting Gary Trent Jr. Maybe something in practice wasn't looking right. And so he decided, you know what, this is not the move to make. But instead of throwing Gary Trent Jr. under the bus, in the interview, he just sucked it up and said, you know, I made a call. And I think you just, there's no way to know. And we have to remember as fans and as media, we are not entitled to know every little detail of everything. There has to be a sense in which we, as media and as fans, we trust our team and we trust our coach and we take what they give us and we move on to the next thing. And we trust that if there is something big that needs to be said, it will be said. Like you said, Gary Trent Jr. came out in the next game and played like crazy. So if if he goes for 15 games and only plays five minutes, then yeah, give us answers. Why isn't this happening? But one game, let's move on from that and not turn this into something that it doesn't need to be. Yeah, and you know, I'm not sure it's a job of, I want to nuance that a little bit. I'm not sure that it's a job of media to trust. 
But when the media asks questions, it should be about something significant, something important. And to whom was that important? I mean, to Gary Trent and his agent, it's important. To the team as a whole, how much Gary Trent plays over time, like you just said, is important. But how much Gary Trent plays in a certain game and then in the next game, I mean, you could ask that of any number of players, and it's not it's just not significant. And it's especially difficult when the question that you asked, now you said that also that the Blazers are pretty open with media and their lives. They are kind of, but they're pretty open in giving the brand answer. In other words, they're very good at this. They will let you all the way in at, a, at the angle that they want you in. And that's great. And they're very, that's appropriate. But there are some angles at which if you ask, you will find resistance or not get your answer or whatever. As it I'm, should be, though, for yeah, the well, record. Well, yes, as yeah, it should be. Absolutely. That's exactly what they should do. I mean, we should not be able to pry into those areas that are dark unless there's a compelling, significant reason to do so. Let me just clarify really quick, too. When I say the, the trust, that's more directed towards fans. I will say that as media, you know, there's always this desire for a story. But I think sometimes that desire for a story turns into creating a story where there isn't one. And I guess that's really what I mean in that, that the media needs to be cautious about turning something that is not a story at this point into one. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that I have always appreciated about the way that we do things at Blazer's Edge is that there are things that will come up, a tweet will come up or the, you know, that'll be discussed. And it's like, this isn't enough of a story yet that it needs to be something. We need to watch it. We need to pay attention to it, but it's not there yet. And I think that it would be in the best interest of all of media to do that a little bit more often. Yeah, and I think they probably do. It's just I think there was a mistake here, basically. Or how are you going to be consistent on that? How are you going to be like, are you going to watch every player's one game to next game stat line and then ask? And it seems like it happened because there's an easy story there of only 5.5 minutes and people are, what happened? And then literally the next game he comes out and wins the game and scores 28 points. But you know what? That's within within the bell curve of, probability. It it will happen at some point. That doesn't mean that there's an X to Y correlation to it. But here's the point I want to make too, though. We talked about the brand, right? For the coach, the brand answer to that question, the appropriate answer to that question to protect themselves, the players, the whatever, is exactly the answer that Stotts gave. That, Agreed. You know, it's, it's, I'm not. We're not going to get into moment to moment things and air them out on the internet. And I made this call. May have been right. May have been wrong. We'll learn from it. Go on. Whatever it is. Now, I didn't actually read the whole article, so I don't know what Stotts' exact quote was. But it was there was some condemnation of well, this thing. You know, he kind of dodged. Well, of course, because that's what you do. That's what you're right. supposed to. Do. I, I can give you an example from my life in church. We visit people, like you know, people who are sick or whatever, and that's kind of private, confidential stuff. Inevitably, someone will call up and say, "Have you seen so and so? And do don't you know about this or that?" Now. In order to make myself look good, I could sit there on the phone and spill out all the things that I had talked about with so-and-so in order to justify myself to that person asking the question. But it's more important and ethical to actually tell that person, yes, thank you for bringing this to my attention. I will 
pursue it. Even if I've spent six hours with that other person already, that's more ethical, that kind of dodge response, than actually justifying myself to the person by violating the confidence of the person I visited. And that's, right. uh, you have to be willing to look bad in public in order to do good. And coaches get in a similar situation just in a different way. So anyway, now we've made a big long thing of this, but I think that <laughs> it, we all need to be cautious about some of this stuff because it's awfully easy to spin a narrative that just doesn't exist based on two things that happen in conjunction to each other. That being said, though, I mean, talking about all of this, like, I am genuinely excited for this season. I am somebody who is just perpetually positive about this. And, and it's interesting, you know, the longer that I'm in this world and the longer that I'm interacting with fans and media and everybody on Twitter, on social media, and having these discussions, I found the other day that I, I was being kind of negative. And that's very much not me. And I, I think that going forward, you know, it is my goal. It may be a little different, especially as someone in the media with the team. I think I can sit down and I can be objective in what I write. But how I feel is not objective. How I feel is until we are knocked out of the playoffs, we can win. <laughs> Up until the, you know, game seven where we get a loss, I think we're going to win. That's the case every single year. No matter how bad we are, no matter how much we struggle, no matter what our record is, I always think until the day that we don't, we can win. And I hope that I never lose that. I hope that I can hang on to that, even though it may be slightly delusional, even though it may be occasionally unrealistic. I don't ever want to become calloused to that childlike, hope and joy that I find in the Trailblazers. I think that that's what sports should be. I think that it should be fun. I think that it should be something you enjoy and something that gives you hope. I think it should be something that brings that happiness. I don't want to sit down and watch a game where I'm expecting to lose. I just don't. And so I, I really, and I think that this goes back to why I always talk about wanting to like the players. You know, I, I talk about that all the time. And, and it came up a lot when we were talking about the whole idea of trading for Harden. Part of why I want to like these guys and I want to like watching them play is because at the end of the day, if we lose, but I like them, then it's been an enjoyable experience, even with the loss. And I think that that means something to me. And I hope that that never goes away. Yeah, well, I think that that is quite possible to have that not go away. One just ends up liking different things sometimes. I mean, when you're first into it, you want to, I mean, you like the awe and wonder of it all, being a part of it. Obviously, the wins are fantastic. But then the more you get into it, I mean, you like skilled plays and skilled players. You like being able to connect dots between events and understand things more and help other people understand things more. Sometimes you just like telling the truth when nobody else is. I mean, and that can be a valuable thing, too. And even if you don't like the truth that you are telling, the fact that it is out there and it is valid and one aspect of, of what people might take in to improve their knowledge of the game or the situation, that's very powerful. And that's something to like. And so I don't think one ever loses 
one sense of wonder, at least I hope not, or that, that feeling that you're talking about. It just becomes one part of the great, you know, dodecahedron or polygon or whatever that creates the whole experience. And I think you'll grow in that. And I think that, uh, that that's also been something that I've experienced, and, and I still love it. I mean, I, it's very interesting and very different sitting down to watch a game now than it used to be. I will admit it's not as innocent wonder. There are still moments. I mean, it's hard not to see Derek Jones Jr. go up and, or to see him go up and not, you know, get halfway out of your seat. But around those moments is, is a lot of, I think, peace and uh, a broader perspective that really fills in around that innocence and wonder. And, and it's a good thing. So I'm not worried for you. Yeah, I think it's been fun. You know, I talk a lot about my, my daughter who's becoming a, a fan. And I think it's so much fun to watch that and to watch her experience that and, and her her extreme highs when we're winning. And, you know, I mean, she'll cry. We lose and she cries. She's eight. But I I think there's something to be said for that. And I think that as fans, you know, we can debate the merit of a player or who should have been played or what should have been done differently. And I think that's healthy. And I think that that's something that's enjoyable for people as well. But may we never lose that excitement of just getting to watch the Trailblazers play good basketball. Yay. And that's our hope going into <laughs> 2021, I'm sure. Very good. Well, thanks to you. Anything else that, uh, that we got to get in there, you think? I don't think so. I think we've covered the basis. You know, we've got the, the Clippers game tonight and then Golden State on New Year's Day. New Year's Day, right? Yeah, on New Year's Day. They're down here. They're playing these games. They're heading back up the coast. And I think we've got some good games ahead of us. I'm, I'm again, excited to hopefully be L.A. tonight. I know it's a different L.A. team. It's not one that I care about quite as much. But a win is a win, and I'm hoping for wins. Right now, prediction, not having seen the game, uh, I'll say that uh, the Blazers beat uh, the Clippers by uh, 52 points to to obliterate what Dallas did to them earlier. Well, I mean, I would have said that, except now you said it and probably jinxed us. Uh-oh. Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. So when you're optimistic, it's all cool. But when I'm optimistic, I jinxed us. I you will see never, how this works. You will never hear me say, this is my prediction for a game. We're going to beat this team by so-and-so points. Never. Well, it's I've, a superstition of mine. I watch it play out with the Blazers all the time where, you know, Charles Barkley over here, making all these big predictions and and then we lose i just superstitiously when people start betting on them i just think oh no don't do that i was doing it facetiously but that's it <laughs> i'll stick to it now 52 points that's my prediction uh charles barkley though is he's not predicting with the blazers as much as he's messing with blazers fans right you, you gotta know oh, this yeah. right he's like let's let's go let's go way out there on a limb and watch all of portland talk about me and and then all of a sudden boom and then he never mentions it again and then we're like absolutely in the doldrums for the next six months because somehow this is great this is great i example of how minds work too Nobody takes anything Chuck says that seriously the entire year. But as soon as he predicts that the Blazers are going to win, all of Portland is like, see, it's validation. He's smartest guy on the planet. <laughs> it's like, oh, man. I think it's so, I think we're so, especially being in a small market, people don't 
typically do that. They don't typically give us a whole lot of credit. And so I think when someone like Charles Barkley, who's a national news, you know, sports media personality, plus having been a player himself, it's just like, well, he said so. But I think we've seen him be wrong so many times now that really, like, we can't put a whole lot into that. It's like an annual rite of spring. <laughs> the Barkley predicting. Like, yeah. yeah, well, you know, he could have had him for Jerome Kersey and Terry Porter. Would you have done that trade in retrospect? Jerome and Terry for Charles Barkley. I don't know. I, I don't know. I I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I'm a big Jerome Kersey fan. I was not a big Charles Barkley fan. Uh, granted, I was a child and he was on the wrong team. So I'm definitely not being uh, objective here. So I, I, I don't know. I would have to go back and actually look at how they played. Um, as now an adult who much more understands the ins and outs of the game, but just, you know, gut reaction. No, I don't think I would. So Dia Miller uh, turns down Charles Barkley and turns down James Harden. <laughs> I also she, turned down Giannis when that was a thing. What? Yeah, that's right. You did. That's the one I don't mention because that's the one I can't go there with you. <laughs> oh, God. Looking back in hindsight, I I would have liked to see that. I still don't know how that fit would have been, but I think personality wise, chemistry wise, who he is, I think it would have been, I think it would have been fun. I would have liked to see that, you know, that it's interesting that that came out that Dame started talking about that publicly because, uh, you know, we all know Dame doesn't want CJ going anywhere. And it makes me wonder what Dame thought we would trade to get Giannis if that was even a possibility. If you want Giannis, it's easy. And let's, let's close on this. Let's close on a note for everybody to think about all week. If you start at the Damian Lillard draft for Portland with very modest picks, certainly within the realm of possibility, and some of them were, the Blazers could have started with Dame. They could have picked up Giannis in the draft. They also could have had Donovan Mitchell, Chris Middleton, and Nikola Jokic. And that could have been the starting five had there been perfect drafting. Now, no GM should be expected to do that. No criticism of the didn't do that. It just if you look back at the arc there, you could have had Dave Mitchell, Middleton, Jokic, and Giannis on this team. And that's like, oh, okay. That's time. What a to, note to end on, Dave. That's, that's what a time note to drop to end the topic. On. But you know what? We have Gary Trent Jr., and that's just as good. For Dia Miller, I'm Dave Deckard. Uh, we will talk to you again next week and have fun with Golden State and the Clippers. This has been Dave and Dia, a Blazer's Edge production. Find more basketball talk at blazersedge.com. Watch your step as you exit, and we hope to see you again soon. Dave and Dia, what is that? A Swedish skin cream company?